I'm Damien Venuto. It's August 17th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. At the start of the century, New Zealand was considered one of the most literate countries in the world. However, multiple reports in recent years have shown that's no longer the case. Our literacy rates are falling, and it's a problem that affects not only children, but it's being felt across all society. The government has announced plans to try rectify the issues, but will it be enough to teach our country to read again? Today, I'm joined by NZ Herald education reporter Dubby Henry, who has written a new series exploring how to fix a systemic education crisis. Firstly, Dubby, what do we mean when we refer to literacy rates? Is this just a measure of how many kids can read? Yeah, so on a very basic level, it's how many can read and write at the level that you'd expect for their age. Over the last decade, we've seen multiple studies and news reports which state that New Zealand's literacy rates are dropping. What have these reports shown about the relationship between Kiwi kids and their reading ability? Yeah, so last century... And the beginning of this century, we were seen as, as one of the most literate countries in the world, this place that had kind of solved the reading problem. Uh, but within that, there was always a group of high-achieving Kiwi kids. And then there was a group at the other end, maybe one in five, who actually were not up to speed. And there was a lot of work done to pull these kids up. Never really happened. We, we plateaued. And then in the last 10 years or so, that high-achieving group has, has started to drop. So we're seeing girls... Pākehā kids, we're seeing that the most well-off kids, they're the ones that are seeing the biggest dive in achievement. What does that say about society and the gravity of this problem if even the wealthiest among us aren't able to avoid it? Part of that is we, we don't know everything that's contributing to our declining literacy. You know, there's probably an element of technology use, screen time, all those kind of things. We're still not 100% sure what it is, but of course those things affect kids across all socioeconomic groups. When you think about the first times that you heard a story, where were you? We didn't first learn about reading and telling stories and being involved in literacy at school. We would have learned it through dialogue because literacy isn't just about reading and writing. It is also about speaking. It is also about listening. It is also about thinking and, and, and being critical. reporting has also shown that it's not only a problem in primary schools. So what's happened with a recent test of the new NCEA Level 1 standards? Yeah, so that, that's just the, the latest, I guess, symptom of what's going wrong. So as you'd expect, if, if literacy is not great at primary, that's going to trickle through to secondary school. And the Ministry of Education recognised this, and it can also see that kids are leaving school with NCEA, and it, a lot of them actually don't have the literacy or numeracy that they need to really thrive. And so they've brought in these new standards, they're they're meant to be really robust, and they say, okay, if you can get this standard, then we're comfortable that you can go out into the world and say, NCEA means I can read and write and do maths really well. And they've trialled these new standards, and they've found there was a pretty big proportion that actually couldn't do it. So only one in three students actually passed the writing standard, and about two-thirds passed the reading and maths, so... The government said, that's okay, these students are actually year 9 and 10. By the time they do NCEA, it'll probably be better than that. And this is just a small pilot, but there's a bigger trial happening right now, so we'll see if it's really as bad as as it seems. Debbie, everything you just mentioned sounds tremendously worrying, and one expert you spoke to called our literacy rates quite alarming. 
She also highlighted that these literacy concerns are being echoed across some industries. So how does our poor literacy affect adults once they leave school, go to university, get into the workforce, where they're expected to live a productive life? So we live in a society that's very information rich. You know, wherever you go, you need to be able to, just at a basic level, you need to be able to fill in forms, read manuals, you know, just to live a a normal life. If you want to go to university, clearly you have to be able to read and write at a high level. And, And we want everyone to be able to do that so that all different sectors of society can be represented in fields like medicine and law, you know. But even at a basic level, say if you want to be a a plumber or a mechanic, you still need to be literate and numerate. And at the very extreme end, you know, the Department of Corrections reckons about three out of five prisoners, they don't have NCA level one level of literacy or numeracy. So they're not going to have qualifications when they leave prison. They're not going to be able to get a job, which is a really important predictor of whether you're going to stay out of prison. So this is really important across the whole of society that we improve. Obviously, getting stuck in those statistics, we sometimes lose the human element. But for your series, you have spoken to one mother who, with her son, had quite a horrific time in the school system as a result of struggling to read. Can you explain what Holly and her son went through? Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is one of many parents I've spoken to with a similar story, but her son, we're calling him Jimmy. Before he started school, he had a very rich, book-filled environment. His parents read to him all the time. And then he went to school and he just couldn't click and he just couldn't get how to read. And his teachers kept saying, well, he's a boy. He's, you know, he's, he's quite young for his class. He'll get it. And he fell further and further behind over a few years. And the kids started telling him he was dumb and he started repeating it. And then he was getting really anxious and he wouldn't, didn't want to go to school. He was getting sick. And his family did everything they could. They had the resources. So they put money into tutoring, trying to get assessments for dyslexia. They sent him to private school, thinking that surely a private school will fix this. Mum quit work so she could spend more time on his reading. Eventually, Holly discovered something called the science of reading and figured out what he was missing out on. They found a speech and language therapist for like $100 an hour, and she taught him sort of a very structured, phonics-based approach to to reading, and he, he finally got it. He understood the rules of how English works, written English. And now he's 15, he can read, he's up to the level he should be. But it's been a a massive financial cost, and it's been really tough on him. You need to make sure that you're paying your power on time, you need to be able to read when that's due, you need to know if you're receiving a read notice about what that means for you and what you need to do to address that. It's easy for us to not actually realise how much we rely on our literacy, not least because if you are not... You can't read your employment contract. So I mean, when you look at the massive financial cost, it's fair to say that it costs a huge amount to hire tutors and specialists to help someone improve their reading when they're struggling. And Holly acknowledges that this is something that not all families can afford. So how do the figures around literacy rates differ across different socioeconomic groups? And... Are there even enough tutors to go around for those who can afford them? Yeah, so the vast majority of people can't afford that kind of investment and there aren't enough tutors to go around. There there are huge waiting lists now for people just to get a tutor. But at the other end, at the low socioeconomic end, we've always had that problem where that long tail of lower achievement has always been among the more disadvantaged kids. Of course, that's going to be more Māori and Pacifica kids and kids who have English as a second language. 
And I think that is part of the reason why we we haven't picked this up as fast as we could because there's a feeling of, oh, well, that's a problem outside the school gates. It's poverty. Until we fix poverty, we can't bring them up to speed with literacy. But actually, there are suggestions that the way of reading that worked for, for Jimmy is actually working for those kids as well. So that's really promising. That, that's an interesting debate. So how much of the onus rests on the parents? How much of it rests on teachers when it comes to bridging that gap to literacy? There's a lot of evidence that kids who arrive at school with a rich oral language and rich vocabulary, which obviously has come from their parents and maybe from early learning centres, they're going to find it easier to get started with reading and writing. But if your parents don't speak English, for example, that's not really on them to teach you English. So at that point, that's where the teacher comes in. And teaching reading is not a simple thing that parents do at home. You know, it's, it's a difficult skill. There has also been some debate about the best way to teach. Now, one thing that came up in your series is this concept of balanced literacy. What is this teaching style and why has it provoked a bit of controversy? So there's been a very long-running debate around the world. It's known as the Reading Wars. You had two groups lined up. One side said you need to teach kids using phonics, which is linking sounds to letters and groups of letters, and then you can sound out the words and decode what they are. On the other side, there was the whole language philosophy and that said that kids can learn whole words and if you immerse them in literature and rich language and emphasise the meaning of what they're reading, they'll usually pick up reading. And that tended to say, well, use the context of that word, say, look at the word in the sentence and, and figure out what might make sense there, look at the pictures, look at the shape of the word and maybe sound it out if you have to. That debate is over. Every expert I've spoken to says we know now that phonics is really important. And most New Zealand schools now would say, well, we've moved on. We do balanced literacy. It's basically whole language with phonics added. But that term balanced, a lot of the academics, again, that I've spoken to say, actually, it's not enough of a systematic, explicit approach to phonics and explaining kids how to decode words. And anything that teaches them to take their eyes off the word and look around the page is actually harmful to their reading. As a mum of a dyslexic child, I've developed quite an understanding of this over the last 12 months. Unfortunately, for many, many years in our country, we've been following a whole language balanced literacy approach to teaching and the evidence that's coming through from the science of reading and these decades and decades of research behind this now shows that that is not the best method to teach kids to read. Given that we have academics identifying some problems with the current system, what's being done to fix it and what other methods can we try to incorporate into the schooling system? Right, so what we now have, which we didn't have last century, is is decades worth of research into how the brain works. So neuroscientists have been able to scan thousands of people's brains and see what's actually happening when they read and when, when kids are learning to read. And they've worked out that everyone actually reads the same way. You know, people across the world, different languages, different ethnicities, we're all pretty much the same. So we see marks on the page and our brain recognises that those are letters. It links them to the sounds that those letters make and puts them together and says, I know what that word is. And if we have the vocabulary to know the meaning of the word, then we're, we're reading And as adults, we don't realise that this is still happening. It's happening very fast, but we're still all reading, basically, phonetically. 
And so when you're a little kid, that happens very slowly. It's, it's simple words like cat. You're going k, a, t. And it's practice. It's years of practice. And you get faster and faster. And at some point, your brain begins to change. And the brain of a literate and an illiterate person, they look very different because your brain's just completely changed. So now that we know that everyone is reading in the same way and it involves putting these sounds together to make words then it makes sense to teach kids in the same way. So we teach them the sounds that the letters make and the groups of letters, and then we help them deconstruct words. It's called decoding. So basically decode a word, you sound it out, you work out what it is, and you build up from there. And of course you you start simple, because why would you start with complicated words for a five-year-old? And then they get a sense of success, even if they can read a really simple sentence like the cat sat on the mat. And you just systematically move up to more complicated text. And that way of learning seems to work really well, particularly for kids with dyslexia. Debbie, given that we've seen these advances in neuroscience, are we getting better at diagnosing dyslexia at a school level? So there aren't enough assessors out there who can diagnose these kids and, and there's not equitable access to them. And usually the first step is a teacher picking up that a child might have dyslexia. And that is, I think, where it often breaks down because they're not trained psychologists or or experts in those areas. So no, no, still a large number of kids with dyslexia or or similar sort of learning differences that goes undiagnosed. The other side of that, though, is that a lot of these parents are saying, well, we could skip that problem if we just taught all kids to learn in the classroom in a way that suits dyslexic kids. It's not going to hurt anyone because we know that all kids actually learn to read like this. Why don't we just do what works for everyone? Some of them will be faster. Some of them will be slower. They might need a bit more help. But then most of these kids wouldn't need to be taken out of class for extra tutoring. And they might not even need a dyslexia diagnosis. Recently, Associate Education Minister Jan Tanetti revealed the government's plan to tackle these falling rates. What is their grand plan to rectify this issue? So the grand plan was revealed last Friday. It it was a bit vague, but... The big promising thing, I think, is they're talking about developing a common practice model so that every teacher in New Zealand is going to have the same understanding of what works to teach kids to read. It's meant to be based on the evidence. They haven't used the term structured literacy, possibly because it's become a little bit political. If you ask the minister about it, she is definitely on board with the idea of structured literacy. She's a former principal and she said she's seen kids at her former school and it's really amazed her what a difference it's made for them. So it's a pretty strong signal that there will be structured literacy in there. So an expert panel is going to draft that common practice model and then it's going to go out for consultation next year. When I was teaching at school, I started with young people that were confident as learners. I didn't feel that when I finished in teaching, but we've put that line in the sand and we've said, here we are, we've got the strategy, it's based on evidence-based approach, and that's an exciting day for our young people. How have experts and advocates reacted to the news coming out of the government? They are tentatively positive. Some people would like to see this happen a lot faster. There are some very pro-structured literacy people, that, you know, parents of kids with dyslexia. You know, they would like to see some of those really harmful, disproven approaches to be just banned from the classroom, and they, they want the minister to do that. They don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, Taniti has actually said that if there are methods that we're currently using that aren't evidence-based, 
they'll be scrapped. So that's pretty promising. A key problem that teachers continuously face is under-resourcing. So I imagine it would involve a lot of time and money to retrain teachers in a different literacy method. So can New Zealand's education system afford it? And how long would that take? So yes, it is going to take a long time. I was out at a school recently, Robertson Road in Mangere, and they've been working on this since 2018. It took them probably two years to get teachers really skilled up in the idea of structured literacy before they even launched it in the classroom. That was at their own expense. Um, I think it's cost the school over 100k. You know, they've had to fund this themselves. And, and they're only partway through their journey. You know, they're saying there's still heaps more professional development we need to do. If you're going to do that across the whole system, it's going to take a lot of resourcing. I'm aware of some teachers that have come to this on their own and they're paying for it out of their own pocket. That shouldn't be the case. But the other thing is time. Look, teachers right now are under so much pressure. You know, um, the pandemic's been really tough on them. They've been out delivering hard packs to kids. They're, they're dealing with seven-year-olds that have never been to school before, trying to teach kids over Zoom. They're relieving for their sick colleagues. And now they're potentially going to be asked to do a complete U-turn on how they used to teach. And it's going to be really tough on them. So I can see why the ministry wants to take it quite slowly. As a parent of young children, how concerned are you after researching this area? I mean, do you feel that the country is on the right track to reversing the downward spiral by the time your kids get to school? You know, if you'd asked me that a year ago, I would have said, I'm not worried about my kids. They're surrounded by books. They'll be fine. Now I can see that it's not that simple. But I think we're on the right track. The people at the top have all acknowledged we have a problem, which is the first step to doing something. It's just a question of how long it's going to take and how many more kids are going to slip through the cracks before we get there. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. With thanks to our producer and editor, Paddy Fox, and executive producer, Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.